how do we assess blame? How do we decide who's at fault? Often when we reflect on the past, we look at what caused the terrible things that have happened. Who are we to blame? How do we avoid it in the future? Do we just find the person most responsible and blame him? Or do we take a more nuanced approach? Do we use pie charts, for example, to divvy up the blame, to give a percentage to various people responsible? You know, this often happens when we look at the economy, especially when the economy is doing bad. We do this whether looking at the current state of the economy or when we're trying to assess failures in the economy from decades past. Usually, this becomes a political thing and the faltering economy often becomes the fault of the current president or the former president who was in charge at the time. And of course, this always comes down on partisan lines. You know, this is a silly game that we play because it doesn't factor into the myriad of other causal factors for a faltering economy, but it gets reduced down to, well, in this decade, the economy was great, so that must have been the successful policies of this president, or the depression must have been caused by the failure of this one thing. Now, uh, of course, there are some good policies and bad policies for, for economic prosperity, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that it's often difficult to assess blame, and it's something that we love to do. Now, if there is any event in human history that pushes our conventional methods of assessing blame, it's World War I. In my next podcast series, I'm going to look at July of 1914. Now, in this one month, the buildup to World War I happened. It started on June 28, 1914, with the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, who was an archduke of Austria-Hungary, and one month later, war was declared. Now, my podcast is called The Points of No Return in History, so what is the, quote, point of no return during the July crisis of 1914? Now, July of 1914 was so crazy, and there was so much wrapped up in every decision that it's impossible to narrow down to just one, quote, point that meant there would be, quote, no return. There was the, as I mentioned, the Franz Ferdinand assassination. There's a good case to be made. This was the point of no return. There was an ultimatum that Austria-Hungary sent to Serbia. And if this doesn't make much sense now, listen to the podcast and you'll get it. But this ultimatum blamed Serbia for the assassination of Franz Ferdinand and wanted a certain number of strict things from Serbia in response. This could be a point of no return because that caused what could also be a point of no return, the response to this ultimatum. The numerous treaties that came into play between various allied countries that meant that a conflict in the Balkans, somehow that meant England and Germany were in a war with one another. This is how the alliances came into play, and we'll explain all of that, but to go back to the main point, which is that what, what is the point of no return? Is it Germany then backing the Austro-Hungarian Empire? Could that be the point of no return? Or what about the decision of France, Russia, and Britain to back Serbia? All of these, you can make a case that this is the point in which the, the ball started to roll for World War I and never stopped rolling. So I'm not going to make the case that any of these one points was the point of no return for World War I. Rather, when you look at the July crisis of 1914, when all of this was happening, 
the July crisis as a whole was a point of no return for World War I, and that's what we'll explore in the next series. We'll look at how this July crisis unfolded. There's a never-ending debate of who caused war, and this is what I was trying to get at just a few minutes ago in, in this teaser. And this never-ending debate looks at many different countries and their culpability in who started World War I. Was it Germany who crossed into Belgium and violated Belgian neutrality? They did this, of course, to get the jump on France to secure their western front before they took on Russia on their eastern front. Again, some of these details, we'll get into them later. But Germany, many have seen as the aggressor, especially crossing into Belgium. Or was it Serbia, who some argue colluded to murder Franz Ferdinand? What about Russia, who could have calmed down the whole mess and cooled things off in the Balkans, but who had strategic interests there, so decided to ramp things up? There's a case to be made that Russia's at fault. And then, of course, there's the problem that the blame game for many years was a political argument. It was a political debate. It wasn't this sort of neutral thing that historians look back on, which of course it became later, but in the immediate years following World War I, who was to blame was a political question because it greatly affected the geopolitical arrangement of the day. And of course, because of this, countries scrambled after the war to clear their names as they created their own reports of what happened. As I mentioned, you know, it's become more neutral with, with historians long after these events have transpired and less political, but this blame game is still played to this day. And that's going to be the focus of this series. It's going to be looking at the events of July of 1914 with a special focus on the many angles of who is to blame. Like usual, we'll be releasing episodes once every two weeks, and I'm probably going to do about four episodes again. I really appreciate all of you listening. And uh, as usual, please uh, rate and subscribe the podcast. This was just a teaser. As you can see from this teaser, I'm going to be trying a new approach and doing my uh, podcast series more word of mouth, more off the cuff, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I would really appreciate your feedback on uh, which style you like better, so please let me know about that as well. Anyways, I'm grateful for you all. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.